The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. Okay, we're looking for courage from 2 Corinthians. And I don't know about you, but a major place I need courage in my life is what you could call relational drama. Anybody have any relational drama in their lives? <laughs> Does anybody not have relational drama in their lives? Write a book. Tell us how. Um, you know how it works, right? You say it wrong, or you do it wrong, or you didn't say it, or you didn't do it, and someone else is deeply offended. Deeply offended. And sometimes if it's really bad, in- incoming uh, pages of text, you have your phone, and you're like, uh-oh. Oh, no. It's really bad, Facebook posts, or before you know it, there's people you didn't even know were involved in this thing, and you're here, whoa, drama, you did it wrong. Or maybe you're on the other side, somebody else, they keep getting it all wrong, and you've had enough, rightfully so, right? You're offended, outraged, it's time to take action, stand up for yourself somehow. Drama, whatever side of it, offended or offender or both, we've all... We've all been there somewhere, sometime, right? Sometimes we deserve it. Sometimes we don't. But there we are. We're in the drama. And however you got there, I think we can all admit it's one of the worst feelings in the world. Isn't it horrible? It's horrible to know somebody out there is angry at you or upset with you, um, and it's stewing. And there's this, it's, it's in your mind, it's in your heart. That's one reason I love this text today, because in this text, we're reminded that when it came to Paul's relationship with the church in Corinth, it was full of drama. For years and years, it was full of drama. Um, They were offended by him. They were angry at him. Uh, They treated one another this way horribly. There were factions. There were cliques. There uh, There was slander. Now, in this case, we know Paul did not deserve the drama he was facing, this was on them, this was in them. But what's so, what's so interesting, first of all, is that, hey, if you're in drama, you're not alone, right? Even the, the apostle had to sit through some. But what's really interesting is not just that he's in it, it's how he handles it. It's how he handles the drama. And he could have done several things, which I think are common for us to do. Number one is, um, he could have just shut down. I'm done with you. I'm out, it's over. He could have done that. I've had enough. Or he could have, um, he could have shot them down. You, you know, uh, we live in a sitcom society, right? And uh, in the sitcom society, every, every scene or argument ends with, with what? The perfect one-line zinger, you know? Have you noticed it? And it's just perfect. It's especially good if it's funny, because then you can say you're just joking, Right? And you kind of stab the other person in the kidneys real quick. Vaza! The ringer, the zinger, make you feel it. Right? What is that? I'm making you feel what you've done. Now, is anybody, zinger anonymous, is anybody ever guilty of throwing a zinger? Okay? To get somebody, to hurt them. You know what's amazing is Paul doesn't do that either. It's, it's, it's never this uh, vengeful kind of thing. His approach is so different, and here's the reason. He belongs to Jesus, and he has this guiding passion, 
that gives him wisdom and courage for navigating the drama in an entirely different way, an entirely different way of handing relational discord because of this passion. So for us, we know a few things are certain, death, taxes, and drama. We're going to go through drama, even at church, right? It happens at churches, sadly. Here's the question, how are you going to handle it? How are you going to handle it? How should you handle it? And that all depends on, according to this text, it's telling you, it all depends on your guiding passion. Your guiding passion, what you love the most, what you want the most. And that actually is the benefit of drama, because you know what drama does? It's like a big mirror for you, for your heart. And you get, you get to see what you love and what you care about when the drama comes. In the way you respond to other people, you get to see how prideful you may or may not be. You get to see how easily offended you may or may not be, how forgiving or how unforgiving you may or may not be. You get to see it all. Drama shows us what we're like. Uh, cracks, cracks the facades out there. We get to see our guiding passions. And so I think, uh, I'm reading and praying over this text. It needs to happen in me. I think it needs to happen in all of us that God would change our guiding passion, what we love most. Remind us what we're all about. And that will give us Wisdom for the drama. So there's, there's two things I want to do. Number one, understand the driving passion that should drive every Christian. It's the only driving passion worth having, this passion that would own you. And second, we're going to see how it helps us navigate drama, okay? The guiding passion, how that passion gives us wisdom for the drama. So follow along with me. First of all, a little background as we get into the guiding passion. Look at 123. Paul says, I called God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. So the background is Paul had to change his travel schedule, and here's probably why. I say probably we're reconstructing Paul's relationship with the church, okay? So he plants the church originally. Uh, later on, he leaves the church, writes him another letter. That's referred to in the letter we studied, I don't know, last fall, 1 Corinthians, okay? Then... He goes on another missionary journey, and he's going to hit Corinth twice, because he's, he's on the way over here, so I'm going to hit Corinth, go over here, come back, hit Corinth again, go over here. So he's planned to visit him twice. He visits him once, and basically all hell breaks loose. It's, in this letter, it's referred to as the painful visit. So he had such strong enemies in this church that somehow they went off the rails during this meeting, and there was controversy beyond controversy at his visit, and it got ugly. We don't know many other details than that. Anyway, because it was so painful, because it was so awful, instead of hitting that, instead of hitting Corinth again on the second time, he says, you know what? I think it's just gonna blow up. But it's, it's, gonna, it's not gonna be positive at all for me to visit them again. So he writes them a letter. He refers to that letter in 2 Corinthians, calls it the painful letter. He writes them a letter to talk about things. He basically, he's saying, you guys need to figure out you need to figure out your business. Are you a Christian church or not? You need to deal with yourself. His enemies then, because he changed his travel schedule, are slandering him all the more. Oh, you, you, you can't even trust this guy. He says he's, he's gonna visit, he doesn't visit. Anyway, do you get the point? Drama, pain, outrage, slander, all this stuff. And it's in this drama that we see Paul's heart revealed. What he wants is driving passion. And that's gonna determine how he handles it. So look, 
Let's find it together. What's this apostolic passion he has for these people in verse 24? Do you see it? Not that we what? Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you. What are those next three words? For your joy. I work with you for your joy. Are you hearing this? What's joy? Happiness, satisfaction. You found something beautiful, something awesome, something wonderful. Joy. So guess what? Does Paul want them to be happy? Yes. For your joy. Does God want you to be happy? Yes. He wants you to have joy. This is the great news about this text, is that Paul's Paul's mission for God's people is their joy and happiness. And guess where he gets that? God's mission for God's people is their joy and their happiness. God wants you to be happy more than you do, which is life-changing to believe that. He wants you to be happy more than you do. He wants your joy. And he says, I'm gonna work with you for your joy. So what's with you mean? We're in this together. This is huge. Can you find the joy that God wants you to have by yourself? No. No. The reason the apostle is in the church's life, the reason the church is in the church's life, the reason you're in my life and I'm in your life, do you believe this, is that we would work with one another for our happiness. We are here to make one another happy. It's crazy. And we do it in partnership. I do it with you for your joy. Um, he also says, I don't lord it over you. In other words, I can't, I can't make you do this. And then he says at the end, you stand firm in your faith. So in other words, he's saying to them, I want you to find this happiness and I'm gonna work with you for it, but I can't do it for you. It's a two-way street. You gotta do your part too, but I'm right here. I'm here for you to work with you for your joy. Do You see that passion? That's what I'm after, Paul says. That's what I'm after. Question, what kind of joy? That's huge. What kind of joy? Is he here to work with us for better money management? It's not bad. Money management's important. Is he here to help you with better parenting advice? It's a good thing. We need wisdom in parenting. Do we, is it, so you can feel peace in your inner self. Is it, is, it just, is it a comfortable life that he's here to help you find? What kind of joy? Don't you think that's important? What kind of joy? Clue. What words mentioned twice in verse 24? Not that we lord it over your what? Faith. But we work with you for your joy. For you stand firm in your faith. So what do you think? You think faith and joy go together somehow? What's Faith. What's that? It's a reliance on something. And of course, and joy's in there somehow because you're trusting something to give you what you need. You're putting your faith in this chair you're sitting in and there's a small but an important joy of it's holding you up and enabling you to sit. You're trusting it, it's coming through for you. Faith always has a joy aspect to it. I'm trusting in this thing because it's gonna give me something I need. Faith, joy, faith in what then? So in other words, to get this joy, you need to put your faith in something. Well, the Sunday school answer is usually right. Faith in what? 
Let me show you a different text where Paul opens this theme up in more detail. Philippians chapter one, verse 21. Look at this. Look at what Paul says. We're trying to find Paul's joy. For me to live is Christ. Now, wouldn't you say that's another way to say this is where my joy is? For me to live, this is what I live for. This is who I live for. Jesus is my joy. In fact, he then says some of the craziest words in history, to die is gain. Gain. What's gain mean? It's better. It's an upgrade. It's a promotion. I'll be happier to die. Why? Is he an escapist? I just can't bear it anymore. Is that what he's doing? No. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Okay, I get to stay here. I get to work. But yet what I choose, I can't tell. I'm hard-pressed to be between the two. My desire, what's he really want? Is to depart, next phrase, I want to be with Christ. I want to see him. I want to see him. I want to, I want to hear his voice. I want to be face to face. That's far better. That's what I want. You tell me, what's Paul's joy? Jesus. Jesus is his joy. Jesus is his joy. So I'm gonna, I'm, this is so wonderful and so confronting, so difficult. It's wonderful and it's difficult. Wonderful. God wants you to be happy forever, happier than you can dream of. And he's done everything to make that possible for you. And he's telling you eternal, perfect, ultimate joy and happiness. It's found in one place. Where? Who? Christ. Spiritual pulse. Go ahead and take it. Is Jesus your greatest joy? Is Jesus your greatest joy on Tuesdays, on Saturday nights, in every situation? Do you find joy in the person of Jesus? And do you have the haunting suspicion that dying is an upgrade because you get to see him? You gotta, you gotta check yourself right here. You gotta test yourself. Because these are words and they're great and it's, don't let it just be churchified. Is this you? The best of us would say, yeah, but not enough. Some of us might say, I hear what you're saying, it's not real for me. Now what? What are you gonna do here? Is Jesus your joy? This is the joy right here, the beauty of Jesus. The beauty of Jesus, his worth, his majesty, his life, his integrity, his strength, his wisdom. He's the creator of the earth. He's wonderful, he's kind, he's good. And his love, he's forgiving, he's compassionate. Um, he sticks with us, he gave his life for us. He rose from the dead, he's king of kings and lord of lords. He's the best, every good thing ever came from him. He's the only thing that could hold your need for eternal joy. Nothing else can do it. This is it right here. Is Jesus your joy? And let me just tell you, he intends to be. He intends to be. I have no doubt that one reason God messes with us in a host of ways, sickness, brokenness, loss, financial problems, and yes, drama, is because he's gonna mess with us until we break and say, Jesus, you and you alone. 
He, he's after you if you trust in him. He wants all of your heart. He will be your greatest joy because he loves you. Okay, Paul's greatest joy is Jesus. How does that affect his relationships? I'm still in Philippians 1. Look at verse 20 to 25, 24 to 25 now. What does he say in 24? I'd like to go be with Christ, verse 24, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. So in other words, I'm not, I don't think I'm gonna die yet because I got stuff to do. Verse 25, convinced of this, I know I will remain and continue with you all. Why, Paul? For your, your progress and joy in the faith. Paul says, I'm still in skin on this planet. So you can progress. In other words, it's not an easy button where, oh, you have it all. It's uh, working. Your progress and your joy in faith in Christ. Trust in Christ. Joy in him. That's why he's here. What is Paul's passion? Paul's passion, ultimately, Christ how does that determine his relationships? His passion for me and for you, for everybody he meets, is I wanna work with you so that you would have the same joy in Christ that I have. I love Christ, I want you to love it. Joy in Jesus leads to the desire to work for, with others for their joy in Jesus. I think you can see this on a small, simple level. Uh, what's a hobby you love? Okay, I've lost to several relationships because I like tarantulas. Don't judge me, okay? God made them. He likes them too. They're beautiful. So what I wanna do, I wanna show you a picture. Partly because I enjoy you squirming. But when you meet somebody who shares the same hobby as you, how do you like it? Come on, you like photography? All of a sudden you meet somebody else who loves photography and you're like, did you hear about the lens and the Okay, a, a child is born. What's everybody in the family pumped up about? Isn't there a joy that comes from sharing a joy with somebody else? All the time. And the higher and more serious and more important that joy becomes, the better and the greater power for enjoying it together. And so I've been able, I'm so blessed to have been able to travel. I meet somebody, I don't have a language in common, I don't have a lifestyle in common, I don't have a culture in common. They love Jesus, and I love Jesus, and they're just, they're just all about you, and you're all about them, because they don't even know who the New England Patriots are, to their great sorrow. But we have something better, joy in Christ. Is your joy Christ? Listen, if you're a Christian, this is where it's supposed to go. Please don't leave Christianity as in, I, I prayed the prayer once and I go to church sometimes and that's it. That's, that's not why God saved you. He saved you so that you could find your joy in him. You'd love him the most. That's where he's taking us. And when you start to grab onto that, Jesus, be my joy, I want you to be my joy, and sometimes I, you are, you are my joy. And then what do we wanna do with one another? I work with you for your joy in my ultimate joy. I'm happy in Christ, you be happy in Christ too. Let's work together to help. Will you help me be happy in Jesus? Can I help you be happy in Jesus? Please forgive me for every time that's not what I was doing being a pastor. This text landed on me hard. That's what I'm supposed to do all the time is help you be happy 
in Jesus. But you're a Christian too. <laughs> that should be every relationship for you. Share this ultimate joy. That's what Paul's doing in one to four. He's talking about sharing this joy and he actually says something very, very powerful. Walk through it with me. First of all, you see, joy is meant to be shared. I skipped the visit, Paul says, verse two, I don't wanna cause you pain. If I cause you pain, who is there to make me glad but the one who qualifies pain? I wrote as I did so when I came I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me. What? Rejoice, for I felt sure of all of you that my joy would be the joy of you. What? My joy is supposed to be your joy, Paul says. And your joy is supposed to be my joy. What does that mean? Listen, if I love Jesus so much and he gives me joy, and I see that you put all your joy in Jesus, what's that gonna do in me? That's awesome, that makes me happy. (laughs) Paul just painted my heart here, it's everything I want. What makes me happier than when you all love Jesus and wanna live for him? It's the best. And you who love Jesus, you feel the same way about me when I love Jesus and wanna live for him. That's my joy, it's your joy. We share that joy together. And then Paul says, and when we break it, everything's lost. You're not rejoicing in Jesus anymore? Oh my gosh. And it leads to all this and that, and, and I, I'm not rejoicing in Jesus, and I'm this and that, and, and losing that shared joy in Christ, pain, brokenness, ugliness, drama. And he says down at the end of verse four, I wrote you, anguish of heart, many tears, not to cause you pain, to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. The abundant what? Love that I have for you. So what does he want? Does he want their joy in the faith or does he love them? Both. Okay, what's that mean? Here's what it means. Wouldn't you agree when you love somebody, you want the very best for them and you'll do whatever it takes to make that happen? Next question, what's the very best for them? Answer, joy in Jesus. It's beautiful, you get to work for the very best thing in somebody's life, joy in Jesus. But here's, here's the smack on it. Here's the punch in the nose. You have a friend, you love that friend. Are you working for their joy in Jesus? If not, what's the next question? How much do you love them? Or, how much do you have joy in Jesus? Do you see this? It's wonderful. Joy in Jesus is offered, it's given, it's what God wants for us. But it, it, uh, it, con- it confronts our hypocrisy. Do you have joy in Jesus? If you do, you'll work for others' joy in Jesus. In fact, that's love. That's love. So if you're a Christian and you love somebody, that means love will express itself in, in my working for your joy in Jesus and you're working for their joy in Jesus. You have a friend, you probably never, I'm, I'm sitting here with you. We have friends, maybe we've never worked for their joy in Jesus, but we love them, do we? What does it mean for parenting? You love your kids, you want them to be healthy and get good grades and get a good job and do well in their hobbies and uh, it's true and you love them. But if you really love them, what do you want most for them? Their joy in Jesus. You work for their joy in Jesus. You work, you put it into your life, you, you set it up, you taught, you, it's, this is what you're working for. And if you're not working for their joy in Jesus, 
Next question. Do you love him? Or do you have any joy in Jesus? Because our kids, they're seeing what we have our joy in. Are we working for their joy in Jesus? Do you feel this landing? What about marriage? Is this true for marriage? Is the heart of marriage that two people come so close together, closer than any other human relationship, and then their, their job, their goal in some way is to work for one another's joy in Jesus together. Is that marriage? Yes, it is. Would you do whatever it took to work for your spouse's joy in Jesus? If not, why not? Do you love him? Do you find your joy in him? So I'm confronted by this passage. I need, to, I, need to, I need to do this better. I need to think on this more. But where does it start? If you're like, yeah, I need to work on this too, Matt. Where does it start? Here's where it starts. Your own joy. How can you work for somebody else's joy in Jesus when you don't have any? Start there. Jesus, how do I find my joy in you? Well, that's a different sermon. But it's love. It's love. And if anybody's like, wait, are you telling me I don't fully love somebody if I'm not working for their joy in Jesus? Short answer, yes. Long answer, what did God do in his love for you? Set everything up for your joy in Jesus. This is eternal love right here. Eternal love. Okay, so... The guiding passion, joy in Jesus. If I want to have joy in Jesus and in his grace, that's, that's where I find it, his love for me, who he is, what he's done for me. And then I want to work with others for their, your joy in Jesus. How does that guide us through the drama? I think we see principles for this in the next section, verses 5 to 11. 5 to 11. So what I'm trying to do next is I'm gonna give you a handful of principles that I think we see from how Paul handled the Corinthians that navigate our way through drama, relational drama, when we wanna work with people for their joy. Does that make sense? What, sh- what should I hang on to in these relationships when I wanna work with people for their joy in Jesus? I have six. Are you happy about that? Six. I want you to know I broke the mold because, you know, pastors are supposed to have three. I'm doubling your money. That's why you come here. You get bonus. (laughs) Six. Take notes. Verse four. Paul says, I wrote you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears. Okay? Trivia. Was Paul's relationship with the Corinthians easy or difficult? (laughs) As far as I know, anguish and tears and all that, difficult. When you want to work with people for their joy, you're willing to endure the pain of a hard relationship. Now, I don't want, I don't want to make a blanket statement that you should never cut people out of your life for whatever reason. I don't believe that. I think there are some times that you should. These are general principles for Christian relationships. We endure with each other. We stick it out. It's a tragedy when somebody says, oh, I went to a church and got offended and I left. It's like, have you heard of the gospel? 
Hebrews 12, 2. Look to Jesus. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the what? The joy that was set him, what set before him, what did he do? Endured the cross. Was he willing to go through pain for his joy in ours? Yes. Yes. And so we're willing to endure with each other, as Paul says in other places. We bear with one another. Bear with one another. I want to stick, stick with each other. We endure. We're going to keep going. That's one when you work with people's, when you work for people's joy in Jesus, there's an endurance aspect to it. Secondly, you're going to talk carefully. You're going to talk carefully. Now, Paul doesn't make that command in this passage, but We've, we've been reading the last three weeks. You've seen how he's handling very difficult situations with very careful language. Is there anything inflammatory like, y'all, y'all stink, burning hell forever? Uh, is, there, is there any sarcastic barbs? Or is he speaking the truth in love as best as he can? And that's what he's, he's being careful in his language. It reminds me of Ephesians 4, 29. Boy, if you don't think you're a sinner, this is the only verse you need. Ephesians 4.29, let no, what? Corrupting talk come out of your mouth. Corrupting is, I'm ripping you down. And how much of that should you do? None. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for what? Building up as fits the occasion so it can give God's grace to those who hear it. Right thing to say, right time to say it, right reason to say it. Talk carefully. And as we're going to see, that does not mean you don't ever confront. But it means the way you do it is so, is so different. Because um, what are we supposed to be working with each other for? Our joy in Jesus, even in the drama, the disagreement, the hardness, it's going to change the way I talk. I want to talk carefully. I want to endure with one another, I want to talk carefully. That's in this passage. Third one, verse five. Paul says, if anyone's caused me pain, he caused it to me. In some measure, not to put it too severely to all of you. You're like, what? He's talking about the guy, we're not sure who it is, that during the painful visit went off the rails and was horrible. He said something, he did something, he was publicly rebelling against the apostle and slandering him. And the church had to deal with this guy. Okay, But what we see here is the reality of what you would call intervention or confrontation. When you work with somebody for their joy, you intervene when necessary. I like that word intervention. Where, where else do we use that word? Somebody has an addiction. And how do they, how do they see themselves? It's great. I can stop whenever I want. It's fun. It gives me life. And you're watching your friend, and at some point, and you don't want to do it, because what's going to happen? You don't want to do it. I know. Believe me. I know. You don't want to do it. You don't want to say, hey, look, I feel like you're doing this too much. It's bad. It's breaking you down. Because what's going to happen to you? Drama powerful wave of it, like drinking from a fire hydrant. But at some point, you ask yourself, do you love them? 
You going to intervene? Now put your theology to practice. What's the worst addiction? Some chemical out there? Or living a life that has no joy in Jesus? Which one's worse? If the gospel means anything to you, living without Jesus is worse. It's the worst. No, finding no joy in him is the worst. So for, for those of you, you find your joy in Jesus and you want others to find their joy in Jesus. When you see them living out no joy in Jesus, what do we have to do sometimes? We have to intervene. Because it's love. If you don't think it's love, you need to question how, much, how important you think joy in Jesus is. So joy in Jesus will intervene, which means, you know, if you're in a tough relationship, joy in Jesus doesn't mean, well, I'll just never talk about hard things in the relationship. That's not what it means. You need to be assertive. We need to be able to say what we think. It's in the, in the right way, in the right time, for the right reason. We need to listen to each other. Intervene when necessary. So what was the first one? Endure. Second one? Talk carefully. Third, intervene when necessary. Fourth, forgive freely. Forgive freely. Verse six, Paul says, for such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough, so you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you, reaffirm your love for him. Corinthian church was fickle place. You know what fickle means? One thing at one time, then totally inconsistent, another thing at another time. So back in 1 Corinthians, we know there was a guy who was doing bad, bad things, and they wouldn't even, they wouldn't say anything about it. They just let him keep doing it. It was real bad. So they wouldn't confront anybody. Now this time, they've confronted this guy, and he's repented, and now what, they, now what will they not do? They won't forgive him. Paul's like, you know, he's pulling his hair out every time. Um... What does he want them to do? Look, he's repented. It's enough. Turn to do what? Forgive him. And not just forgive, comfort him. Reaffirm your love for him. Bring him all the way back in. Full restoration, forgiveness, forgiveness. I love that Paul doesn't mention his name. You like that? Because it's over. And now in the annals of history, we don't have Joe Corinthian who did whatever. It's forgotten. He's forgiven. What do we need to hang on to when we endure with one another, when we intervene with one another, when we go through drama with one another? What do we need to hang on to? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Does joy in Jesus lead to forgiveness? Isn't that one of your greatest joys in Jesus? What's he do every day when you sin against him, when you forget him, when you go off the rails, when you, for, when you mess it up? What's he do again when you come to him? Forgives you every time. I just can't get over. Like Lament, his mercies are new every morning. Does he ever run out of when you come say, "I'm sorry, forgive me"? Does he ever, does he ever just say, "That's enough"? Every time it's like, "Oh, I, I forgave you. I forgive you so much. I died for it. I, I rose. It's done. I forgive you." Every time, I love that about Jesus. Colossians three thirteen. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against one another, what should we do? Forgive each other. What kind of forgiveness? 
as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Wear that one. What kind of forgiveness from Jesus are you hoping for, longing for, betting on? Did he just mostly forgive you, but there's a couple things? Uh Uh-uh, he's not letting those go. What would happen if he treated us that way? We'd go to hell. The only forgiveness, I mean, I have to have a full-on, complete, 100%, all the way, every sin, totally forgiven every time from Jesus. Isn't that what I need from him? It's got to be that way. How should I forgive others? Look at your heart. Who have you not forgiven? What are you hanging on to in there? Doesn't mean you're saying it doesn't hurt. It's not what it means. It doesn't mean you're saying what they did was right and not wrong. It's not what it means. It means you've lost all need to pay them back. You've let it, you've let it go. Forgive. You, know, think, you, you think of drama. What would, it, what, a, what would a huge dose of a huge dose of endurance in relationships, careful talking, intervention when necessary, but free forgiveness do in all our drama. Can you imagine? It would just, we'd become beautiful. That's only four, there's two more. Verse nine, this is why I, this is why I wrote that I might test you and know whether you are what? Obedient in Everything. Lest we forget, obedience is part of being a Christian. Uh, Great Commission, go and make disciples, baptizing the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. That's part of Christianity. Jesus is my king. I want to obey him. I want to obey him. Does, Does obedience fit with joy in Jesus? It's everything. Remember that Psalm, Psalm 100, I think, serve the Lord with what? Gladness. I need to invent some new illustrations, but I'm going to roll this one out at you one more time. Raise your hand if you've heard it 12 times. Um, I visit you in the hospital. You're like, hey, thanks for coming. And I'm like, I didn't actually want to be here, but I had to because it's my job. How would you feel about that visit? You'd be like, well, why don't you leave, right? Go ahead and get out. If I don't take joy in my visiting you, you don't want it. You're dishonored by my lack of joy. You're dishonored if, you, if it's just a duty, right? Does your wife want you to put your arm around her because you have to? What is that worth? Fellas, you want your lady to kiss you because you have to? Or do you want one where she really wants to kiss you? That's my favorite. It's always like that in relationships. If you want to do it, I'm honored by it. I'm loved by it. If you're just doing it out of duty, man, take it home. It's no different with God. What kind of giver does God like in 2 Corinthians? We'll get there later. Cheerful giver. You didn't want to give? Don't give. He's not poor. He wants your heart. Serve the Lord with gladness. When you love Jesus, look at what Jesus says in John 15, 10 to 11. Jesus says, if you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love, 
just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you, that what? My joy may be in you, and your joy may be full. You wanna be really happy in Jesus? Trust him so much that you obey him in everything. Your joy will be full. Can you believe that? What a different attitude. Instead of looking at obedience like a, gosh, do I have to? What if it was flipped to Jesus, your law is great, I love you, I wanna obey in everything. I want this, because you're my joy. And then how would it change in the way we talk with each other? You want joy in Jesus, so do I. Help me obey him. Let me help you obey him. It's not a burden that breaks us down, it's a joy that lifts us up. So we emphasize obedience. So over the six, wisdom for when you want people's joy in Jesus in relationships, what you got, endure, we're not gonna give up on each other, you got talk carefully, right thing, right time, right reason, you've got intervene when necessary, you've got forgive freely, obey in everything, last one, put up a fight. Put up a fight, look at verse 11. Stakes are so high here, you guys. Forgive him, restore him, Paul has said, so that we would not be outwitted by who? Satan, for we're not ignorant of his designs. Satan, who's at play in church drama? None other than Satan, the devil. I mean, remember who he is. He is a spiritual person, very, very good at wrecking havoc. Do you remember what he wants for you? Jesus told us once. I've come, Jesus said, that you might have life. He's come to destroy you. He wants to wreck you. He wants to annihilate you. He wants you to burn in hell forever. He hates you. And he hates the church. And so just, it's common sense at this point. What's best for you in this passage? Your joy should be in Jesus. Jesus. And what's our role for one another? Work with one another for joy in Jesus, that's the best. Okay, if we have an enemy who wants our worst, what does he want you to have joy in? Anything but Jesus. He's against your joy in Jesus. Do you know that? And if church relationships are a humongous vehicle for joy in Jesus, what does he want to do with your church relationships? Wreck them. So you'll do anything but work for joy in Jesus. Not only that, the apostles involved in here, the apostles' role for the church was to work for their joy in Jesus. How do we know what the apostle says? Give you three guesses, first two don't count. First letter starts is B, Bible. The Bible works for our joy in Jesus. What does the devil want you to do with the Bible? Forget it, ignore it, don't read it. There's a fight for joy. The Christian life is a fight for joy in Jesus. You, you know this already. You've had it. What happens to that joy in Jesus you experience sometimes? Where to go? You have it with fellowship with, with one another, and then a, somebody said it wrong, did it wrong, offended, and what happens? Brokenness, and all of a sudden we're not enjoying joy in Jesus anymore. What are we doing? Or even if we're not, at least if we're fighting, we're talking. Worse is we just like, we're done. And who's at work? 
I mean, Paul just took it all as, as bad as it could get. That's, that's satanic when we do this. Is this a serious passage or is this a casual passage? It's so serious. Satan wants to ruin your joy in Jesus. Two major vehicles for your joy in Jesus are a knowledge of his word and fellowship in his church. And if Satan wants to ruin your joy in Jesus, what's he going to do with the way you read the Bible? He wants to end it and destroy it. What's he want to do with your connection to the local church? He wants to break it and rip it so that he can ruin you so you can put your joy in anything other than Jesus. Do you see how huge this is? Paul says, but we know what he's doing. Do you know what he's doing? Do we know? Paul says, we're not ignorant of his designs. Are we not ignorant of his designs sometimes? Any of you ever, any of you ever helped Satan out before? I have. I've helped him out. I've been on his team. When I don't enjoy Jesus with his people, when we build up controversy, when I won't intervene when necessary, when I'm not forgiving, when I'm not, I'm on his team. Don't be on his team. Are you on his team? What are you teaching your friends? Are you working for their joy in Jesus? If you're not working for their joy in Jesus, what team are you playing on sometimes? Your kids, are you working for their joy in Jesus? Do you see how big this is? So what do we do here? Well, the end of every sermon should always be the same. I believe that with all my heart. We look at the gospel. Where are you going to find joy in Jesus when you don't have it? Look at the gospel. Look at who he is again, the son of God, put on flesh for you, lived a perfect life for you, to have you. He loves you, even though you're, while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. He loves you. You don't have to earn it. You don't get saved by how much joy in Jesus you have. Praise God. Jesus had joy in his father that was perfect. And that accounts to you. If you'll trust him, you're looked as if you've always had the right amount of joy in Jesus every time. Wow. Look at him. He died for you. He loves you. He's yours. He's given you everything you need. Now find some joy in his love. Can't you find some there? His beauty, his grace for you. Find some joy in him there and then pray, Jesus, be the best to me. Stir it up. What are his two main, main ways, vehicles, uh, highways to get joy in Jesus? Word, church fellowship. It's not sexy, but it's real, folks. Bible, God's people. Add some prayer in there. Pursue joy in Jesus. Pursue it. Look for it. And then, and then once, you, once you feel that joy in Jesus... What are we going to work for in one another? Work with you for your joy. Let's enjoy Jesus together. We'll endure with each other. We'll talk carefully with each other. Intervene when we have to with each other. We'll forgive each other. We're going to put up a fight. Let's pray. Our God, we thank you that you want to thrill us in who you are, and we thank you that you won't give up on that, and you're not going to settle for anything less than our joy in you. So here we are, Lord, uh, weak sinners who need your help. 
We thank you that you loved us, you've adopted us through faith in Jesus, and we pray that our joy in him would grow for each one of us here, Lord. Let our joy in you grow. Let us see your great love for us, your total forgiveness for us. Let us, let us rely on you, Lord. Rejoice in you the most, and we pray that as we do that, it would become our passion to work with everybody we know, our spouse, our kids, our friends, our brothers and sisters in Christ, that we would work with everybody we know for joy in you and that our joy would be the joy of one another as we rejoice in your greatness together. Teach us how to do this, Lord, more than anything, help us want to do it. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening, and we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.fountainoflifefellowship.com. FOLFCRC.com.